message for, for all of us here tonight. If I can get this to work. I was going to do it tablet mode, but I have to play y'all a song at the very end, and it wouldn't let me do tablet mode. So, um, I, I, I've, been, uh, I've been trying to figure out what to, he, Brother Dunn has told me for a while that I was speaking here tonight, and I never take it, um, take it for granted. I never, I always want to take it seriously. I don't, I, I know, I don't want to get behind the pulpit and just give y'all something out of the top of my head or whatever the case is, you know, so there's been prayer and, and, and stuff going into it. And I, I believe that, I believe that God's got something for, for us as a church and more than just us as a church for this, for this hour. I don't know how to explain it, but I've been feeling this for, for a while. And I actually, and I spoke on this subject a while, a little over a year ago. And even, and even then I remember when I even began to speak on it, I just remember feeling God's presence so strong and and so i if brother cody if you'll pull, pull up that uh that main slide proverbs 22 and 28 says remove not the ancient landmark which thy fathers have set so i just want to simply talking talk to you guys tonight about what is an altar and i know that we all probably know what an altar is but I think that the definition of an altar is somehow getting lost in today's, today's world. It's getting lost by just all kinds of other stuff. And I, and I told Brother Dunn this. Um, there, there was a dream I heard here recently, and I won't go into the details, but it was of the end-time church. And, and there was a lot of stuff in this dream. It was, it was talking about how, and just a few minor details, is you had a man pushing around the baby, and then you had the woman doing something else, and then you had you had a bar t you had a bar inside of the church, and then you had um, you had different things when you walk into the sanctuary. No longer was there a pulpit or a an area; it was all media. So you walked in, you sat at this table. So you know it's like us all coming into church, and you know get here, okay, group over there, group over there, group over here, and then we all have these little different uh, monitors or televisions, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> And there, and each each uh, each table has their own their own media thing. So instead of all getting in a in a in one accord and and hearing the minister preach, we were all listening to media. So somewhere along the line, the 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 direction where how how God originally set up the church back in Acts and going into the to the different churches in in Galatia and Ephesus and all that stuff that that model had been taken out in this dream. And now it had become a show. So no longer were people coming into the show, or I mean coming in to hear God's presence. And it wasn't about getting close to God, it was about a show. You know, it was about coming in and how, how great of a church can we put together? How great of a, a presentation can we put out there? And the main part that I, I got, and there was a bunch of other stuff, and there's all kinds of crazy stuff. But one of the parts that, I, that really stuck with me is what had happened was is is the show had taken place of the altar. No longer was there an altar in the church. There was no longer a place for people to come and to actually feel God down at the altar. It was more of a staging area to where people would come down and, you know, hoop and holler, and they would get into this trance, almost like, uh, you know, get the music going really good, and suddenly it's, it's no longer about the broken heart. It's no longer about God changing us. It's no longer about sin. It's about, it's about the presentation. 
And, and you begin to look into that, and it's a scary place when you think about that because that's exactly what happened in the Old Testament. That's what, hap- that's what happened with the Pharisees. They were going through the motions, but for somewhere, somewhere along the line, they lost their true love for God. They lost their true zeal for God, their fire like Brother Dunn has been, him, been talking about. The brazen altar is the very first place of furniture that you come upon entering the tabernacle, and the sacrifices made there impacted every other ceremony and every other piece of furniture. The fire on, his alt- on this altar never was allowed to go out. The fire was supernaturally ignited by God. It was man's responsibility to maintain it daily through the morning and evening sacrifices. If we want the fire of God in our lives, we've got to maintain, we've got to maintain the altar. We've, and the altar represents prayer, and it represents us trying to get a hold of God. Leviticus 6.13 says, The fire shall ever be burning on the altar. It shall never go out. Hebrews 12.29, For our God is a consuming fire. And I, when I was getting ready for this message, I thought I was going to, I was trying to find a really pretty picture of an, or I was trying to find a picture of an altar. And I actually, the only picture I could find was not this. When I looked it up in Google, you know, I tried to find all these different images. I found all of these beautiful altars, you know, and, and there was, they were gorgeous. You know, there was, some of them were massive, and they were just gorgeous altars. And I started thinking about it. The altar is not just a place of, it's not supposed to be a place of beauty. You know, when, we, when I need to get a hold of God, I can tell you my cry face is pretty ugly. I mean, you're not, if I'm trying to get a hold of God, I'm boo-hoo and I'm crying. I don't care what you're thinking about me. I'm up here. I'm trying to get a hold of God. So you leave me and God, you leave me and God alone. You know, we're up here. But somewhere along the lines, we've got, it's, it's changed. And it's about, you know, if we're going to pray to God, it's got to be this perfect stance, you know. If I'm going to cry, it's going to be two tears here, one tear here. You know, it's, it's that we get it all broken down to where it's no longer getting a hold of God. It's about just going through the trance and, and I thought it was interesting. I could not find one ugly altar anywhere. Couldn't find any ugly altars. I thought it was crazy. So I, I began, and I kept on looking. I went through all kinds of pages trying to find an ugly altar. And the only thing I could find was all these perfect altars. And it makes me begin, and you look at the Bible, the altar one is one of the ugliest places in the tabernacle. Because that was where you laid everything aside. That was that place where it didn't matter what was going on. That was where the blood and stuff, where the animals were being sacrificed, where our flesh gets sacrificed. It doesn't matter how pretty it is. It doesn't matter what you look like when you're trying to get into God's presence. It doesn't matter when someone's coming down. That, you know, if someone's really trying to get a hold of God, they're not going to care what anybody else thinks. It may look ugly. It may look, look like a disgusting or whatever you want to call it. But it's at the altar that you have to pass the altar before you get into the Holy of Holies. You have to pass that part where that, that sacrifice. Altars are not attractive to the world, but it's they, they are the only thing that can offer a sacrifice that attracts God's attention. The altar is, is not something that's magnified in this world. It is something that it's, it's just it's put to the side. Again, going back to that dream, there were no more altars. It's just a show. Suddenly there's no more altars. Suddenly there's no more. It's not about the baptisms. It's not about, it's not about getting a hold of God. It's just about going through the motions. But I can tell you, you know, the, the people that I know that have done that, somewhere they, they begin to lose out with God. They begin to lose out what God is truly all about. 
I mean, my God, whenever I'm hurting and I'm, and I'm wounded, I'm searching for something, I'm, I'm craving for something of God, I mean, the God that I find is not, in, is not in all that. The God that I find looks down and he says, I see what you're going through and I feel what you're going through. I know that you're going through a situation and I'm going to be there with you. That's the God that I serve. I don't serve a God that is just up there and looking pretty and whatever else. 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved is the power of God. Romans 12 and 1 says, I beseech ye, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Altars in the Bible signify a place of worship and a place of sacrifice. They also teach us about our worship today because it is not just an act, it is a lifestyle. My worship to God is not just me lifting up my hands. My worship to God is, is because I adore the Lord. It's because he is higher than everything else in my life. It's not just an act when I walk into this place or whenever I hear the awesome music going or a brother Dunn preaching an awesome message and I just feel, you know, fill up to lift up my hands. It's because there is something inside of me that knows there is a supreme being that is, uh, that is above us all that is taking care of all of this world. But we've got to push past our flesh and tap into the things that God is trying to tell us. I, th- I I've heard it so many preached many times, and I keep feeling it more and more that the distraction of today's time is is busyness. It is just it is it's not just media. It is it's media. It's busyness. It's work. It's everything that takes our attention away from God. And we find ourselves getting to the end of the day, and we no longer have anything left for God. We find ourselves getting at the end, and then. I've, I'll be honest, I've been a culprit of it myself. I'll go throughout my day, and then at the very end, I think, oh, I haven't read my Bible yet. You know, it's 11 o'clock at night. I've got to get up in the morning at 5. Okay, I'll read my Bible. Okay, I'll read about three scriptures, and then I'll go to bed. But I, I'm giving God the last of what I got. I'm giving him the bottom of the barrel. That's why I've always been a firm believer that God should be the first thing. It's the first thing that you think of when you wake up in the morning, the first thing. Psalms 22 and 3 says, but thou art holy, O thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel. The NKJV says, but you are holy and throned in the praises of Israel. And I thought this was funny. The Japanese literal translation says, the praises of Israel builds a big chair for God to sit on. <laughs> I thought that was kind of a unique perspective that big chair for God to sit on. But basically it's saying that our praise is you know, the more we lift up God, the bigger he becomes in our life. The more he has control of our life, the more we will worship and, and praise him. My worship determines my forward advancement along with the pathway of discipleship. Basically, your, your worship is going to determine where, where God's going to take you. The altar of salvation is the first altar that Abraham went through. Genesis 12 and 6 says, And Abram passed through the land unto the place of Sishem unto the plain of Moreh, and the Canaanite, Canaanite was then in the land, and the Lord appeared unto Abram and said, Unto thy seed will I give this land, and there he built an altar unto the Lord who appeared unto him. This was the first altar. When Abraham first received his promise from God, the Canaanite was then in the land, the flesh was still ruled. Abram, a young man from an idolatrous culture, had to step out on faith and obey a God he had never seen. 
God honored him even though there were adversaries. This was the first altar he came across. You know, you, whenever you come, out from into the, and you come out from the world and you're, the first altar you have to decide is, is I'm not going to go back into this world. And I'll get back to that in, in a minute. But the first, the first step, that the altar, again, the altar represents something of sacrifice. In order to be saved, there has to be a sacrifice. You look at the Old Testament, everywhere in the Old Testament, it talks about how any time that God began to appear, there had to have been a sacrifice every single time. The mighty things that happened, there was always a sacrifice before it. Someone stepped out. Something happened. Faith is stepping out on nothing and landing on something. Hebrews 11.6 says, But without faith it is impossible to please him, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Hebrews 11.1, 1, now faith is the substance, the foundation of things hoped for, the evidence or proof of things that are not seen. It all starts with faith. The altar of determination is the second one. Genesis 13.3 says, and he went on his journeys from the south, even to Bethel, unto the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Hai, unto the place of the altar, which he had made there the first. And Abraham called unto the name of the Lord. Abraham had his remarkable experience with God at his first altar. He made a trip, and after his first altar, he made a trip to Egypt. So, you know, you realize that the people in the Bible are not perfect. I mean, I know I'm perfect, but, I mean, not really. I will be the first to tell you that I have many flaws. And Abraham was not any different. The people of the Bible are not any different. Somehow along the lines, we magnify people in the Bible and we think, oh, Abraham, you know, he's got the father of whatever, and, you know, all of this different stuff. And we magnify all of these different people. Whenever I was in Sunday school, I knew all of the different stories, and, you know, yippee-doo. But you realize that these people were broken people. When you really look at the lives of these people, they were no different than us. These were not, I mean, these were people that were used by God in mighty ways, but it was only because they were, they, they found a way to begin to walk with God. They were able to lay aside their personal ambitions and begin to walk with God. And Abraham, he had built that first altar, but he decided, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tempt fate. I'm going to go into the world. So he goes to, he goes to Egypt. And um, Egypt was not part of the territory God intended for Abraham, but he finally determined to come back to his promised land. He returned to the place where his tent had been at the beginning, and he put down the stakes. This was his altar of no return. So his first altar was when he was saved. Second altar was when he, when he went to Egypt, but he said, you know what, I'm not going to go back into this world. You know, and I think us here today, we've got we to gotta make an altar that says, I'm not going back into this world. I don't care what kind of temptations come. I don't care what kind of, what kind of uh, things that come into our head or what kind of situations may come up. I'm not going to go back into this world. I'm not going to go back into the sin. I'm not going to do all that stuff because there's nothing there. Anyone that's been there realizes there's nothing in sin except for death. There's, there's no reward from that. There's, I mean, it's not even, not even in the after, after this life. I'm talking about in this life. Nothing comes of it. Nothing, it just doesn't lead anywhere. This is an altar every Christian must come to at some point. Our rival there does not mean that there, will, that there won't be trials, tests, or stumbling. But once the stake is driven, once the altar of determination is constructed, you will never again return to the world no matter what. It's all in your determination. So I ask you today, where, do, where is your determination? Are you determined not to turn back? 
Are you determined not to turn around? The things that God's done in your life, you know, are you determined to not just let those go to the side and, and turn your head and, and, you know, just begin to take a few steps back into, into whatever God has delivered you from, whatever it is that God has pulled you out of. Don't, you know, make a determination tonight that you're not going to turn around. Make the determination that it's, you're going to press forward. And I know I, I probably have a lot of analogies towards biking, but I, it was just one of the things I did. But I, I like to do the endurance bike rides. And I'll tell you, there's been times when I wanted to stop I know I said this story before, and I'll never forget the guy who's going up the hill half a mile before the finish line, and he falls over. So and then here comes, the, here comes the guy that carries all the bikes for the guys that don't make it. So he picks him up. Here's the <laughs> that's the thing you don't want to be on. <laughs> but the cool part in, in that story is sometimes, sometimes you feel like you don't have the strength to make it, but someone helps him as he picks you up. So. Hebrews 11:15 says, And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. But now they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly, that is, and heavenly. Wherefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. Build your altars of no return in your beliefs, your convictions, your marriage, in your home, and in your life mission. You know, you're gonna, you've got to set that altar that says, I'm not, I'm not returning. I'm not turning back. I've come this far. You know, I've lived for God this long. There's no way that this devil that's out there, that's a raging lion that's out there trying to tear down my family, trying to tear down all the people that I love, my friends, and all that stuff. There's no way I'm going to let that devil win. You know, I'm here to tell you tonight, the devil has not won. I heard a, I heard a minister talk about it talk about how we want to blame the devil sometimes. Oh, the devil did this. You know, the enemy made me do it. You know, that thought that popped into my head. Let me tell you something. The enemy was conquered on the cross. We have control of the enemy. You know, we got to quit letting the enemy put thoughts in our heads that, that we are not in control. You know, God, with the Holy Ghost, we are in control of this enemy. He has no authority over us. He has no authority over this church. He has no authority over this city. The altar of occupation. This one I don't like. The occupation part. Genesis 13 and 17 says, Arise, walk through the land, in the land of it, and in the breadth of it, for I will give it unto thee. And then Abraham moved his tent, and he came and dwelt in the plan of Mamre, which is in Hebron. And there he built an altar unto the Lord. Abraham had been given the promise that, in the land, that this land would be his. Then the Lord called him to actually pace it off. thought it's interesting. God's given us promises, but we haven't actually tapped into the promises that God's actually given us. You know, it's like God opening up a door and saying, hey, there's a door. But, you know, we've got to be the ones that walk through it. Once we walk through the door, we've got to be the ones that take advantage of what's on the other side of the door. We don't, I mean, we can't just expect God to carry us through the door, carry us to each and every situation that's inside here, all of the different blessings, all that stuff. We've got to be the ones that, we've got to keep the fire going. It goes back to that altar. We've got to be excited for God. We've got to, we can't lose our zeal for God. We can't lose our enthusiasm. And this world wants to take it. This world wants to take our joy. He wants us to wake up every single morning with, and with not a smile on our face, but with a just sad, depressed face. And where when we look at people, we are no longer showing the joy of the Lord. We are now showing the, the depression of whatever we got going on. But in fact, we, there's, with the Holy Ghost, we have a fire burning on the inside. We've got to let that fire out. Reminds me of the, the song, hide it under a bush. Oh, no, I'm going to let it shine. 
When Joshua prepared his, to enter his promised land, the Lord told him that he could have whatever he would fight for. So what are you fighting for? What are you willing to fight for right now? What is it that you've got going on that you're, that you're saying, I'm not going to bow down? I've got a God that is still on the throne. He's just as real. He's the same God that, the same God that was in Israel is the same God that is here today, the same God that can do the same miracles back then. He's still here today. That God is still here, and he's alive just as ever before. It's one thing to have a promise and quite another to have possession. The only way to get from one to the other is to pursue. Don't let your promise become something that dies. Pursue your promise. Pursue whatever it is that God's, whatever God's opened up. Joshua 1 and 3 says, Every place that the sole of your feet has trod upon, that I give unto you, as I said unto Moses. The word tread in this verse means barak. I have a funny story about that, but I won't, I won't say it here. Which means take up your weapons and fight for it. So I know, you know, when the Bible says, whatever you're going to tread upon, whatever I'm going to walk upon, I'm going to take up my weapons and I'm going to fight for it. I'm not going to let the enemy walk in and take down some territory that God's, that God's given me in my life. You know, if God's, if God's started to work on your family, don't let the enemy walk in and just try to take it back. You know, you stand up that guard, you put up that fence, you put up that brick wall, whatever you got to do to project to protect Jerusalem, whatever you got to do to build around your home and your family, you know, begin to build that wall, begin to get rid of your weapons. Whenever the enemy comes in and he's putting depression upon your family, you know what, you fight back and say, no, not today, devil, not in my house. The altar of dedication, Genesis 22, 9, and they came to the place which God had told of him, and Abraham built an altar there. And laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. This is a rough one. The final altar in the life of Abraham was the altar of the unexpected. Where God did something that seemed totally against the promise that he had made in Abraham's mind. Things were moving backward, but he still began to trust in God. You know, when those things happen, don't lose your faith in God. Remember, God is still on the throne. The enemy has not risen up. He's not gotten any bigger. He's still just as little as before. And I heard a preacher one time say, you know, when we're, whenever we get up into heaven and we see the enemy, we're going to probably kick ourselves. We're going to realize how the enemy really has no control over us. All of this stuff that happens in our life, it's not as big as, as we really think. Um, Daniel 3.17 says, If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But if, if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that they, we will not serve your gods, nor worship the golden image thou hast set up. And I, I was going to play you all a song. And I'm not going to sing this song. Tell you what, I'll, I'll play you the tune.
And I, if you heard that tune, you might have heard that tune. You might have thought of probably three or four different songs back in how these songs were written. But I don't, I don't know why when I began to hear this tune, I thought it brought me back to when I was younger and the simplicity that used to be in this life. These so this song, I don't know, maybe four chords. Songs nowadays, there's about 25 chords in one song with key transitions and a bunch of a whole other stuff. It's really busy. But you realize God is not busy. And he's definitely not too busy for us. And God is not, God is not, got so much going on that there are trials and our tribulations are too minor for him. Everything that we have going on, we can still take to God. We can still give it all to God and God can still do something awesome. The verses of this, or part of this song goes, you have longed for the sweet place and for the faith to increase and have earnestly, fervently prayed, but you cannot have rest or be perfectly blessed until all on the altar is laid. Is your all on the altar or sacrifice laid? Your heart does the spirit control. You can only be blessed and have peace and sweet rest as you yield him your body and soul. Would you walk with the Lord in the light of his word and have peace and contentment always? You must do his sweet will to be free from all ill. On the altar, your all you must lay. Oh, we can never know what the Lord will bestow of the blessings for which we have prayed till our body and soul he doth fully control and all of our altar is laid. Who can tell all all the love he will send from above. Oh, how happy our heart will be made. Oh, what fellowship sweet we shall share at his feet when all our altar is laid. We cannot let go of the altar, not in today's time. When this world is knocking on every single door, when the enemy is trying, you know, the enemy knows he's about to go down. And he is trying his best to do everything he can in his power to take us down with him to cause us to lose our faith, cause us to, to quit the fight of faith. And you know what? It's not time to quit fighting the faith. I heard a minister here recently, and I'm, I'm almost coming to a close, and I, I, I heard him, his name was Brother Hughes, and he's a, he's a minister that's been around for a long time. And I don't know how old he is now. I'd say 70s, 80s. He's got a got a doctorate and something. And he was talking about how the first time he ever heard this question asked was in 1998, which is crazy because that was 21 years ago when you really think about it. And he said it was the first time he asked, he heard this question, is it a heaven or hell issue? And at first I thought, okay, but I began to think about it. My, our walk with God cannot be about heaven or hell. Our walk with God has to be about our relationship with God. Heaven is a reward for them that we have that relationship with God. It's got to be something that we, we've, we wake up and we want to get a hold of God. And we, we've got to get into his spirit. It cannot just be something that we're pursuing. Something that, that, is, that we're pursuing is heaven and hell. That is a reward. That is something that happens after the fact. He also made the comment that happiness is not a right. It's a decision. You know, you can have happiness here tonight. It's, it's our choice. 
our response to the situations really shows our true character. We're all going to go through stuff. How are we going to respond to it? How are we going to keep our heads up? Are we going to keep our, our mind in the right place? Are we going to keep our faith in the right place? And I, this was odd. I heard when I heard him preaching, he made the he made another comment. This was an anniversary service for a church. And so first he gets up there and he says he's going to talk about repentance. And which I thought was really odd for an anniversary service. So in my mind, I'm thinking, oh, it's an anniversary. It needs to be a celebration. You know, it needs to be something awesome. You know, it's an anniversary service. And he's beginning to get up there and he began to talk about repentance. As I was on my way here, I began to, I, I realized that there's one more altar I want to add in here tonight. That's our altar of repentance. And not just repentance, but our altar of forgiveness. Because if we want to get into heaven, if we want to really see the throne of God, there's going to have to be some forgiveness. Exodus 25 and 10 says, And they shall make an ark of shittim wood, two cubics and half shall be the length thereof, and a cubic and a half of the, bre- the breadth thereof, and a cubic and a half the height thereof. That's two and a half by one and a half by one and a half cubits. Exodus 27 and 1 says, And thou shalt make an altar of, altar of shittim wood, five cubits long, five cubits abroad, and the altar shall be fourth square, and the height thereof shall be three cubits. And I, I guess I never really saw this before until I read these scriptures. Exodus 25 and 10 talks about the ark. We all want a lot of God, right? The Ark of the Covenant. We all want this mighty presence of God. We want God to do awesome things in our life. We want God to use us. We want God to do something in our family to take care of us, to do whatever. Two and a half by one and a half by one and a half cubits. Exodus 27 and 1 says, talks about the ark, the altar. Five by five by three. What that means is the ark should never be, should never be bigger than the altar. Our sacrifice to God has to be what comes first in our life. If we want God to do those mighty things in our life, we've got to be willing to go to the altar and give God whatever we have, whatever we got going on. Even here tonight, I can, you know, you can feel the weight sometimes when you're around people, the things that people are actually going through. Remove the mask. And let God actually start tapping into the things that are actually, that are inside of us. I heard someone talking the other day. And they began to talk about just a situation. And suddenly I found myself opening up and I realized that there was something on the inside that had been dormant that I had not let go for for 15 plus years. Things that had been buried on the inside that I was not letting out. And I began to realize that I've got to let those things go because the longer you hold on to something, the longer we hold on to unforgiveness, the things that, that people have done in our life, those, and many times the, people, the things that people have done that hurt us the worst are those people that we looked up to. 
They were the, the people in our life that we were supposed to take direction from. But yet, somehow, we got hurt by those people. I don't know, I don't know what happened. It was, it was crazy, and I began to, as they began to, they were talking, I just began to feel my spirit begin to open up and begin to weep. I begin to realize that there is something longing on the inside of each and every one of us for God. But, the, but those hurts and those wounds are what keep us separated. We don't want to get close to God because we're too afraid to get close to God. We're too afraid to let God into the secret places. We're too afraid to let God into those places where God can really change us, really move upon us, really change our lives and, and where he can really get in. And if we can all, if we can all stand. The last thing I just want to say is if we want we must increase our altars if we want to increase our arcs. If we want God to really become the God that he wants to be in our life, we've got to be willing to lay down whatever it is. And most of the time, God's just asking for the simple things. He's not asking for a lot. It feels like a lot on our end, but in reality, it's not a lot that God actually asks for. God doesn't ask for a whole lot. And you realize that once you actually give whatever it is that God's asking for to him, the weight that is taken off of you is incredible. And you realize it wasn't that hard. And you realize that now you can live the rest of your life. And if we can all just, why don't we all just begin to pray? Why don't we all just lift up our hands and let's just begin to reach out to God here tonight. never looks like a pretty place. The altar is a place where you can lay those things to the, you can lay those things aside and you realize it's a safe place. You can lay those things down. Those feelings, those hurts, whatever the situations are, you can lay them down at the altar of God.